So we're working our way through Joel, this book of Joel, and as wave after wave of locusts destroy the economy and devour their food and desecrate their worship and disrupt their way of life, in the midst of all of these cascading crises, many find their faith renewed. And there are two groups in our passage today. There's those on the inside who find themselves more intimately involved. And there's those on the outside looking in, starting to wonder what exactly is going on among the people of God. We've called this sermon, They Will Notice, but we leave it entirely up to you to determine who they are in your life. Is it your enemies? Is it your family and friends and loved ones? Is it you that needs to notice what God is up to in this place? Let's turn to Joel. Just three verses today. We're in Joel chapter 2 verse 15 as we continue with this lengthy account. 2.15 Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation. Very clear instructions. In a crisis, do not hide on your own, but gather as one body. Come here in a crisis. And uh, as you look at that little list there, verse 15, maybe a bit of 16, you see that word consecrate written down twice. In Hebrew, just as in English, It simply means to set something aside for a holy purpose, to hallow, dedicate, sanctify. That is to make saintly or clean. It means to purify a thing. That's what the word means. And the thing that you've consecrated, it remains what it always was. It remains just a thing. But now that thing is used for a special purpose. So, for example, you take this this table behind me. It's just a piece of wood. It's all it is. It's no different from any other table in your life, but we consecrated it. We set it aside for a special purpose. Now we use it every week. We use this table to proclaim to us that most intimate of truths, that the creator and sustainer of the universe, his majesty, who holds all things together by his will and his word, who chooses today that the electrons in your body work and are in the right places so that you don't cease or appear in a hundred places at once, that God calls you to sit and eat with him as a friend. He chose a table. God told us to have a table and prepare it. And we consecrated this thing. It's like an ordinary thing. We set it apart for special use. And uh, you can consecrate all sorts of things. Uh, Usually bishops do it. Uh, You can't stop them, I found. They they just go on great consecration sprees uh, quite often. But uh, in the Bible, what I've discovered is it's, it's not so much things that get consecrated. It's people that are often set apart. And you find that here, don't you, in Joel. It says, consecrate the congregation, us. So, rhetorical question, how might this apply to you in your life? What might God be consecrating you to do? What special purpose 
are you for? We had a, a glorious wedding last week, did we not? Yeah, it was lovely. It was really great. And uh, I said to the couple at the front, I said, theirs is a way of life hallowed by God. It's the same word, consecrated, sanctified. It's special. Uh, meaning that as people look at Andrew and Becca's marriage, and they see that really it's just a marriage, just like everyone else's marriage, they will also see there's something special about this one. That this marriage has a greater purpose. It's been consecrated as a Christian marriage for more. It's distinct in some way. And so with this word consecrate, Joel is saying it's just a meeting of the church, and we have lots of them, but it's a special meeting of the church, this one. Something special is going on amongst ordinary people that is extraordinary. Verse 16. Assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Elders, in this context, almost uniquely, it means just those who are old. Gather also the young. It's okay. It's not funny to be old. I'm getting old. I keep seeing American men in their 70s who look younger than me. I don't know. It's my British genes. But gather the old. Gather the young. Gather the newborns. Ben Hughes makes a really brilliant and fascinating point on the podcast today. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Gather even, perhaps, those who have just been conceived. From the oldest members to those yet to be born. From, from zygotes to zoomers and zoomers to boomers. It's a very comprehensive command to gather everyone. Uh, everyone gets to be special uh, as we are consecrated. Uh, we have fetuses in our congregation. Why can't they be blessed by God? Now, we call ourselves a, a community church preaching the gospel. We know that this is true because we put it on a mug, so it must be, and we wouldn't waste kingdom dollars on a mug if it were untrue. So we are a community church preaching a gospel. And what we mean by this, by community, simply, is that we want everyone in Fox Chapel to be able to belong. By gospel, we mean that no matter how good you think you are, you still need the saving grace of Jesus Christ who died and rose for you and no matter how bad you think you are, you can have it. You can have the grace of God a hundred times if that's what you need because you keep falling down and he keeps calling you back with his arms wide open to a table. That's gospel. By preaching, we simply mean that by the lively exposition of the word and the ordering of our lives under it, somehow they will notice. That's what we mean with these words. Therefore, it's fascinating to me that during a crisis like COVID-19, what we find is that our church has thrived, that it's grown in every generation, that old people and young people have joined the church, and uh, also not only have new people come, but a kind of zeal for intimacy ha has grown in this church. We've just launched two offshoots of MOPs, uh, three home groups. One of the home groups has 31 people in it, so we might have to launch another one. And uh, the Advent Choir that we advertised last week has a, has a whole bunch of sign-ups already. Uh, we're like two people short of our goal after one week. And several of you, I think, will be signing up to sing in the choir. 
uh, even today. So that's a lot. Men's group last night was phenomenal. This was the most intimate moment around the, the fire. And uh, it was just beautiful. It was just wonderful. It, it feels to me, as, as a professional observer of the church, as a member of it, that we're getting insiders who are more insidier than we used to be. That we're getting closer, more consecrated as, as a congregation. This is very counterintuitive, is it not? Rather odd. Because what we're up to right now is really hard and strange. This is not light-hearted, seeker-friendly fun. This is not baby's milk that we're sharing from the pulpit at the moment. It's, it's difficult. I think digesting the theology of Joel sometimes is like digesting a theological steak that's so rare it's still going moo, and yet we're eating it. People are, are getting insidier. We're singing music in a minor key, this sort of solemn church. And here we are. Verse 17 says, between the vestibule and the altar, which, if this were a church, would be somewhere between Courtney and the liturgical trash can, about there. Uh, it says, let the priests and the ministers of the Lord weep. So um, gut-wrenching, this kind of solemn weeping. And as we cry, from the front of the church and break down. Say, spare your people, O Lord, your people. A reminder as if God needed one, that we belong to him, that he chose us, that he is ours, and that he made to us a promise to protect us and to spare us the judgment that we deserve. Now, why should he? Why should God spare them? Because, they reason, verse 17, a different type of they will notice if he does. Make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? God, why should this crisis that we've brought about reflect badly on you? Lord, they sing, give us grace. And then instead of noticing how bereft we are and mocking us, and I think by extension, mocking you, Lord, give us what we do not deserve. Give us grace. Give us restoration and renewal and abundance and hope. And in doing so, proclaim to they outside, even enemies, the good news of just how merciful you really are, Lord. Do a thing. Do it again. Do a powerful thing in our midst. Goes up the tear-streamed cry. Now, do you remember back in June, I don't know if you remember this, when these very strange clouds appeared in the sky one night? Uh, they were sort of hanging down. Uh, I know that many of you noticed because quite a lot of you put them on Facebook. And uh, so you saw them. And uh, they're called mamotocumulus clouds, uh, literally udders in the sky, dangling down. Uh, very, very rare indeed. And uh, most people will never see them. 
And everyone that, that heard that these were outside went outside in the street and just looked up and, and gawped at these things in the sky. And, and some of us, for a second, as we saw this thing that we'd never seen before, uh, wondered, is it the end of the world? Is, is this it? And uh, is it a sign from the Lord? Well, it wasn't. <laughs> But just imagine at the same time as these clouds descending, if there'd been a trumpet blast in the sky, like the one in verse 15, and then the sun had darkened and the stars had fallen from the sky, like they do in verse 10, what would you have done if those things had all occurred at once? I'll tell you what we would not have done. We would not be cowering in our basements, frantically doing a Google search and wondering what we had to do to save ourselves. That wouldn't be happening because we know the good news. We know that the price of our salvation was paid years ago by Jesus. So I suspect that if we had time, we don't know how long it will take the Lord to descend on that cloud. We just have no idea if it's seconds or hours or weeks. We're not quite sure. But I suspect that if we had enough time during that end of the world, I suspect we'd have come here. I suspect we would have consecrated an assembly of some kind in this place. And uh, if the end of the world were today, don't forget that the people in Joel thought the end of the world was right then and there. I suspect we'd be doing what they were doing and we would be right here. Robert would be on the piano. Kirsten would be on the mic. Tammy and Josh would be bringing the children in to the front uh, Bridget will be setting up a broadcast. Matt will be on the sound desk. And I I'd likely not be here inside. I'd be on the roof with a stick, poking a high-voltage cable to make the lights work, or joining a breaker box with my teeth or something, just like I normally do. In other words, in other words, this spectacular occasion would give rise to an entirely normal event. We'd be doing what we do every week. One of you will be making coffee, I suspect, because why not? Right? It's the end of the world. You might as well have a coffee. Or it's evening. Keep me awake. Doesn't matter. It's the end of the world. Try the caramel one. What's the worst that can happen to you, church? And as we do this in this place, what? It's the end of the world and you're making coffee? Why not? We're Christians. In basements and bomb shelters and panic rooms within a mile of this place, individuals would be hiding on their own and wondering to themselves what on earth they were going to do as the very fabric of the universe in which they'd put the entirety of their hope literally crumbled away beneath their feet. And yet some would see our lights on. As some panic Googled, they'd stumble across our live feed, which is why we have one, and they would hear our song coming out from this place, and they would come here as well. Because why not? What would they see? they, when they came to our end of the world church service, they would see this. They would see the very same thing that we're doing right now. They would see the congregation assembled and lamenting and repenting, but celebrating and singing and finding assurance of grace because this group of people 
received the gospel over and over and over again every single week. And we, in some form or another, have been prepared for that moment for nearly 2,000 years. Insiders getting closer. This is the vision of Joel. Outsiders seeing this thing and coming in. This is the vision of Joel. All sorts of people. Not a ghetto church with just a particular cool crowd, according to a special clique in the center of things. But everybody, young and old, consecrated in the midst of a crisis for renewal, that is the vision of Joel chapter 2. It's really quite simple. And for several weeks, we've been commending to you materials that go with this series to listen to and read on your own. A few weeks ago on, on his podcast, Mark Sayers interviewed a, a guy called David Yaganatsa from Elam Ministries. And uh, David Yaganatsa is a third-generation missionary to Iran. And he said on the podcast that after 165 years of intense missionary work, there were only 500 Christians in the whole of Iran, and that, that included the missionaries themselves. Very discouraging indeed. But he says, in 1979, there was a crisis, and the Ayatollah Khomeini came in, and all the missionaries were kicked out. The persecution came. Evangelism was banned. Churches were restricted. Pastors arrested. The Bible Society closed down. Multiple crises for the church. And people were expecting the church just to fade away in this moment. Somehow the opposite happened. The church grew in courage. Remarkably, he says, this tiny, withering church began to flourish. Today, Iran has one of the fastest growing churches in the world. So the interview concludes that, ironically, what happened to the church in Iran is what many in the West fear might happen to us. Loss of standing, loss of freedom, loss of respect, persecution, and crisis. And I want to say to you, if you believe this is a time of global crisis or a time of national crisis, if you think the church is in crisis, if you personally are in crisis, this is the kind of devastated ground within which God brings about renewal and growth. Now, you know, we plan this series basically in January this year, months ago. And we'd long since designed a, an image to go with the series, this one here on the cover of the bulletin. And the other day I was listening to this account from the, the missionary in Iran. I almost fell over on the floor when the missionary said these exact words. In this crisis, we saw the first tiniest shoots coming through of renewal because crisis precedes renewal for the people of God. All right, there we go. Of course, we've got our own stories as well. I have uh, Sandy's permission to, sh to speak about this this morning. And if you were here last weekend, not for that amazing wedding, but for a most remarkable funeral of Lara and Gamma, if you were here for that, you'd have seen what I mean. So I've taken about 75 funerals, I think now, something like that. Been involved in about 100. Uh, only a handful look anything like the one that we had last week. We had in, in two absolutely exquisite eulogies 
a message of how she'd achieved more for the kingdom than, than many people do in twice the number of years. And what we heard is that how in frailty and in grief, her faith grew. So if Lauren was closer to God and, and more consecrated, if you like, more alive at the end of her journey through this world than she was at the start, it raises a question, and that is perhaps some of us are less alive and further away than we would like to be right now. This is the day for that to change. This is the very moment. This is the day where I tell you we don't just do jokes in our church. We don't only do easy sermons from four books of the Bible that make you feel good. From time to time, we have something far more solemn to proffer to the people of God, something more weighty to share. And at the funeral, Ben Hughes prayed these words. God, you are tender towards your children, and your mercy is over all your works. Give us the wisdom and grace to use aright the time that is left to us here on earth to turn to Christ and follow in his steps in the way that leads to everlasting life. You are the saints. By the grace of God, it's going to be at times of crisis that renewal will come. The first green shoots of renewal emerge from the devastated ground of our old lives. And as they do, God says to us, they will notice. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, as we, as we wrestle with grief and sorrow and frustration and, and seek to proclaim a gospel of hope over these things, I pray that you would enable us to, to get real. In a moment as we draw to the table, would we experience grace. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are there for us and in our midst. And you call us to yourself. In your name alone, we worship you. Amen.